In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You expire, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls, and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O font of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin, Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world eternal father i offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have 
Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. And for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless, and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we may not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. Our Lady of Good Help, pray for us. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Faustina, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, pray for us. And all you angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you're just tuning in now, and you're in your car, and you're wondering what on earth is going on here, it's just a bunch of crazy happy Catholics who get together in the evening. Pray the rosary? If you haven't experienced the family rosary across America yet, round up your family in front of the TV at 7 p.m. Central and stream the family rosary across America from Relevant Radio. I would like to pray for my aunt. I'd like mm-hmm. to pray for my nephew. I would like to pray for this little child that's been given limited days to live. Do you believe in miracles, Luke? Oh, yeah. So do I, and that's what we're going to pray for. Sounds like you come from a good family. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have five brothers and one sister. Holy smokes. Your parents must be saints. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spend half an hour with Jesus, His Blessed Mother Mary, and families from coast to coast. The Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. Video stream on the Relevant Radio app and at RelevantRadio.com.
But when will the Catholic Church get with the times, some people say. Kale Clark. Well, the Catholic Church isn't concerned about getting with the times, as Peter Kreeft has said so well. The Church doesn't read the times. She reads the eternities. She's concerned about the end times and your eternal soul. She is only concerned with saving your soul and mine. She has no authority to change the teachings of her Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Other Christian communities think they have the authority to change those teachings of Jesus. And the irony is that people are always complaining the Catholic Church is constantly trying to impose its authority over my life. The Catholic Church actually claims to have far less authority than these other groups do. The Catholic Church is the faithful spouse who will never commit spiritual contraception or divorce by imbibing the potions of our age, changing our Lord's teachings to suit the ways of the world. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio. Today's programming is brought to you by St. Gregory Recovery Center in Iowa. More information about their faith-centered addiction treatment is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. It's 12 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of hotair.com filling in for Drew today. And by the way, Drew should be back tomorrow. So the live chaplain of Divine Mercy will return with him. Uh, He is uh, doing better, and I know that he uh, knows that you're praying for him. I'm praying for him. Uh, I I love listening to Drew on the air um, as much, if not more, than I love (laughs) substituting for Drew when he can't be here. So, uh, Drew, if you're listening, uh, we're all praying for you and hoping that you uh, come back tomorrow as as planned. And uh, all of us, of course, will be very, very happy to have you back. Um, I know that you're praying for him. I know that you're praying for all of our Love It Radio. We're praying for you, and uh, we really appreciate all of your kind support. Let's turn now to the epiphany. And to one of the fun things about guest hosting is I get to learn so much about my faith just by being here and talking to such interesting and and intelligent and brilliant people. And one of those is Father Charlie Becker, who's joining us here from the Archdiocese of Chicago. He's a member of the Marian Movement of Priests. And uh, every year, Relevant Radio turns them to talk about blessing your home at Epiphany with Epiphany water and and. Honestly, I've heard of this, but I don't know much about it, Father Becker, and it's so glad to have you here to help uh, walk us through that again this year. Okay, good. Thanks, Ed. It's good to be with you, too. And, uh, yeah, we're praying for Drew that he can return soon, and that's great. Uh, Listen, yeah, I just uh, have gotten more involved with this epiphany, uh, the blessing of epiphany water, I would say the last five years or so. I mean, it's something that's really more part of the old ritual before Vatican II, and um, so as uh, if people are interested in it or to learn more about it or to participate in it, you're probably best uh, trying to find a priest who either uh, knows of knows the Latin Mass, uh, usually those fellows, which I don't pray the Latin Mass, I don't know Latin, <laughs> but I've, I've come to uh, uh, be acquainted with uh, uh, some of these priests and um, and different apostolates that they have of of restoring some of the both the old liturgy but also appreciating the old blessings and one of them is this epiphany blessing and this blessing um, comes from the east the eastern church mostly where the church has long emphasized in her celebration of epiphany the mystery of our lord's baptism 
and then by analogy our baptism. So I'm reading right out of the Roman ritual here, the, the, which is the old book of blessings. So we reflect on the Lord's baptism and then uh, obviously on our own baptism, which uh, pulls us all into the grace of God. This aspect is not neglected in the Western Christendom or the Roman Rite, although in practice we have concentrated on the visit of the Magi mostly. Many years before the Latin Rite officially adopted the blessing of Epiphany water, diocesan rituals, notably in Lower Italy, had contained such a blessing. So this blessing was approved by the Congregation of Sacred Rites on December 6th in 1890 and can only be done on the eve of Epiphany, which was last night. So there's a number of places that are beginning to to do this. Actually, the interest uh, from a few people in some of my Marian prayer groups brought it to my attention uh, five years ago, and we just did it simply on the eve of Epiphany. It happened to be that the eve, that day that we had our rosary group in this one uh, senior's uh, home, and uh, it all just kind of came together as we were reading uh, the instruction on it all. And so about five years ago was the first time I did it, and then the gals wanted to do it again the second time, and then uh, the third and, and fourth time were done in my office. And this time I have a prayer group at St. John Vianney in Northlake, one of the western suburbs, on Wednesday night. And Epiphany Eve was last night on Wednesday night. So I kind of put an all-points bulletin out for everybody, and we had about 60 people there last night. But I also know St. John Cantius uh, offers the same blessing, both at their downtown uh, parish and the one out here in the northwest suburbs, and I'm sure many other uh, particularly uh, churches that have the old Latin rite uh, incorporate this blessing. Now, what is kind of unique about this blessing, and... um, I'd like to uh, read something here from Monsignor Pope, who put something on the uh, Internet, which you can uh, look up yourself, too. Uh, Just Google Epiphany Blessing, and a number of different things uh, come up. So this was a question that was sent to him a couple years ago. He said, the question was, during a homily about doing battle against the devil, a priest said that the greatest weapons were the sacraments, St. Michael, the Blessed Mother, holy water, and blessed salt. He said to make sure it was blessed with the traditional blessing and that regular holy water was not as effective because its blessing is not preceded by an exorcism. Is the priest right? And is this the church teaching on holy water? This seems rather fringe view of those who believe everything Catholic after Vatican II is inferior. Okay, so uh, Monsignor Pope responds this way with his answer. There is no official teaching about the superiority of one sort of holy water over another. Kind of interesting right there. The opinion cited by the priest is a common one among exorcists and emerges from their experience that using solemnly blessed holy water vexes the demons during an exorcism more than simply blessed holy water. Solemnly blessed holy water is mixed with blessed salt. And this is the normal old ritual uh, for uh, blessing holy water, but epiphany water is even a little bit more so. So it continues. And both the salt and the water are exercised before they are blessed. The purpose of an exorcism is to cast away any demonic presence before the blessing is conferred. Some theologians, including St. Thomas Aquinas, which is nice that he quotes (laughs) Thomas Aquinas, have held that exorcisms before certain blessings, and especially before baptism, increase the fruitfulness of what the blessing effects. So exorcism or not, the water is still blessed, but the fruitfulness may be increased since the demons who might seek to interfere with some of the fruits of its being blessed have been sent away. 
this remains in the realm of theological opinion and is not official church teaching. So, kind of to put it simply, I heard it said this way. When something is exercised, it's removed out of the devil's realm. In other words, he can't use it for anything that he would advance. Right. So the devil, he can use anything in the world. The weather, the, the, you know, the, the material things, technology, um, anything in the world. Um, but when something's been exercised, it's taken out of his his realm, and he he can't use it to his advantage. Um, exorcism is not exorcism or not. The water is still blessed, but the fruitfulness may be increased, since the demons who might seek to interfere with some of the fruits of its being blessed have been sent away. Okay, I mentioned that. Even among the pre nineteen seventy rituals, which was the old Roman ritual, there were different types of holy water. The holy water we have been discussing is the holy water used for most blessings. But holy water for baptism included not only salt, but also chrism, and it was blessed using different wording. Some of you may remember, I mean, you know, I'm going to be 65. I think when I was baptized, uh, which would have been in the previous uh, ritual before Vatican II, they used to put blessed salt on the baby's tongue as a sign of exorcism. We still do exorcisms in the baptism ritual with the oil of salvation by anointing the child, right? Epiphany water was considered the most potent of holy water because it was blessed once a year on the Vigil of Epiphany and blessed using an extensive liturgy similar to Vespers. It was mixed with exercise salt, and the exorcism over the water was lengthier, hence it was deemed more potent by many. Thus the idea of one holy water being more potent than another is a theological opinion that predates the Council. One thing certainly to be avoided is the modern practice of some priests to bless holy water with a simple blessing. Just say, I bless this water in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in other words, Monsignor Pope is saying you shouldn't do that, which is true. The rituals in the Book of Blessings, the current one, but especially the old Roman ritual, they come with the authority of the Church's uh, teaching and, and the, the approbation or the approval of the magisterial magisterium of the Church, the Pope and, and everybody. So when, when the actual blessings are conferred, they have uh, much more authority and strength. Whatever rite is used, he concludes, old or new, exorcisms and salt or not, the full rite should be used. So that kind of gives a nice... In, in, uh, instruction in that, I think. It, it does. I, I, again, we're speaking with uh, Father Charlie Becker of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, Father Becker, I, I find that interesting, just the, the, even with regular holy water, it's not just blessing the water, right? And uh, I mean, right. I, what you end up with yeah, that like is, says, I guess, blessed I mean, water, but just, but it's not necessarily yeah. holy water. Right, right, right. So the exorcism, you know, like I mentioned, you know, has an, has an extra effect on on the the grace or the of the prayer so when something is blessed obviously the bless it's not you know something magical about the item that's blessed a rosary or the house or but it's right. the blessing that goes with it so the blessing goes with the water the blessing goes with the salt the oil when the candles are lit it's the prayer that was prayed and invoked that that gives it uh the merit you know the effect so, and, and, and just regarding, again, the blessing of the Epiphany water in your home. So today marks the day when you would uh, bless your home. Some of you have come across this uh, notion of blessing the lintels of the, door, door po- of the exterior doors of your home for protection and through the intercession of uh, the three kings. And uh, so let me give you a little brief description of that. 
The Feast of the Epiphany celebrates the threefold manifestation of the divinity of our Lord to the whole world. The adoration of the Magi is number one, so this one epiphany moment where Christ is revealed to the world. The baptism of Christ in the Jordan when God the Father reveals, this is my Son, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. So those are the three marks of the Trinity right there and is manifested to the people present. And the first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana which through the intercession of the Blessed Mother occurs. So those are moments of what we call epiphany, manifestations of the Lord to the world in the beginning of his public ministry. The Magi, in seeking the Christ child to adore him, foreshadow the spread of the faith to the Gentiles. So it's no longer just for the Jewish people um, alone. The blessing of the epiphany water begins with the litany of the saints. So we did this last night, and um, the pastor who allowed me to do it says, are you going to do the 10-page blessing? You know, <laughs> and, it, and it is. It's quite lengthy. It includes the litany of the saints, which is wonderful, because oftentimes we don't hear the litany of the saints anymore unless you are at an ordination or, or some kind of special consecration of an altar or the church. Uh, so it begins with the litany of the saints, um, the Agnus Day and Psalms, after which the priest chants a powerful exorcism against Satan and his legions, which I did that last night too. It's all part of this ritual. And Antiphon extols uh, the fruits of the baptism of our Lord. So there's like three psalms, like we do an evening prayer or morning prayer, uh, where you begin with an antiphon and then ro- go back and forth with the, with the uh, phrases of the psalm. And references the wedding feast at Cana, then, then, and then the exorcism of salt and water begins. After the salt is added to the water, the Te Deum, which is a hymn of praise, is sung, and a simple but profound prayer beseeching God's mercy ends the ceremony. So the exorcisms are unique to the Epiphany water. It's just a little bit more so, both of those exorcisms. There's normally a, a small exorcism prayer uh, when you use the old ritual for regular holy water, which I use regularly throughout the year. But what makes the Epiphany water special on the eve last night of the Epiphany is, a, is this extra special exorcism based on uh, the remembrance of the water of baptism and the water at Jordan and the three kings. So the exorcisms are unique to the Epiphany water and make it a powerful sacramental against attacks of Satan so that whatever this water and salt is sprinkled, it may turn aside every attack of the unclean spirit, unquote. The water is poured into the water, holy water tank and is used in the blessings of the homes during the active of the Epiphany. Now we're in an active of the Epiphany. So eight days from today, January 6th, under the old calendar, for eight days is uh, uh, is the active, like we have an active for Christmas. So to bless your home during these eight days, if you can't get it today, you know, uh, the blessing occurs with this with the blessing of the chalk. And the home is blessed on the Feast of the Epiphany or during the active by a priest or senior member of the household. So you don't have to have a priest there. Many times it would be next to impossible to have a priest come by this week to your home, but sometimes he may. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the purpose of the blessing is to witness to the faith and to beseech salvific benefits and protection from evil. If a priest is present, incense is used. Holy water is sprinkled throughout the home, so you take that blessed water that we blessed last night, sprinkle it through the home, um, either, either the priest or the senior uh, member of the household, and then using blessed chalk, which I blessed some of that last night too, the lintel of each exterior leading door is marked with the year and initials of the three kings, C for Caspar, M for Melchior, and B for Balthazar. The initials also form the first letters of the Latin prayer, Christus Mansionem 
Benedicat. May God bless this home and serve as a reminder of the date and purpose of the blessing by putting the, the year 2022 at the uh, 20 at the forefront and 22 at the end, uh, and then with uh, three crosses in between uh, the letters C, M, and B. And so the blessing, which is also a prayer, um, I don't have the prayer right here, of the blessing itself um, on the house. Um, but uh, I'm sure that's Googleable too. I don't have a Absolutely, copy of that. That's yes. yeah. So so that's kind of the basic overall understanding of the Epiphany water. Well, Father Charlie Becker, thank you so much for being with us. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Chicago, member of the Marian Movement of Priests, and we thank him again for being here to explain the Epiphany water and the Feast of the Epiphany. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Pope Francis children and pets and how messages often get go awry when it comes to the holy father i'm ed morrissey filling in for drew we'll be right back catholic order of foresters is proud to sponsor the relevant radio studio line for information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans visit relevantradio.com slash forester from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Brooklyn Bridge, Drew Mariani is on your radio now. Your life connected coast to coast, coast to coast on Relevant Radio. It's 31 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. Filling in for Drew today, taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. What was it that... Pope Francis said about pets, children, and and nations. There's just been so much uh, uh, controversy over the last 24 hours after this statement, which I didn't find to be terribly difficult to grasp, but apparently a lot of other people did. And joining us to discuss this is Dr. Catherine Pakalik, who joined the faculty at the Bush School in the summer of 2016. She's the founder of the Social Research Academic Area, where she's an assistant professor of social research and economic thought. She holds a PhD in microeconomics from Harvard. Um, and look, I mean, uh, Dr. Pakalik, I, I often say that the foremost frightening words for any Catholic journalist uh, to hear is today Pope Francis said because you know what follows after that is not actually what Pope Francis actually said and you're going to have to spend two hours digging through the actual transcripts to get the full context of whatever remarks he had to make I I, I was rather amused that this that the idea that a Catholic leader saying that the choice to not have children is selfish is somehow controversial in 2022 I'm I'm stunned Right. Oh my goodness. I had the same reaction. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and, and the whole context, what you, your whole lead in right there is just spot on. Right. Um, this is a pontiff who really likes to speak kind of off the cuff sometimes. And right. And this was not actually given off the cuff, but it was kind of an off the cuff remark in the middle of his general audience. And when you read the whole context, you kind of went, okay, <laughs> it was not really that big of a problem, it seemed to me. Although it's certainly fair to pick through the, the, the misunderstandings and sort of see, you know, this is sure. this constant problem. We live in this media-driven universe. And so it's so easy to take a sentence out of context and then 
everybody reacts, right? And so, yeah. Right, right. Um, as no, you it, said, the most frightening four words. <laughs> yeah. Damn, Pope Francis said, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> My whole Absolutely day is shut. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, 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 I'm going to preface this by saying that Papal infallibility doesn't mean that every word that tumbles out of out of a, a pope's mouth is is you know correct. I mean, it's there there it's a very very limited concept. Popes can sometimes be wrong about other things, and uh, and it's yeah. fine if they are. And you know, it's certainly fair game to criticize um, uh, what any leader of any religion has to say or any nation yeah. or any organization but you have to start right. by what, with what they actually said and right. for some reason with with this pope in particular although i would argue that um, yeah. uh, pope benedict the 16th and pope you know saint john paul ii had yeah. you know the similar affliction with media uh, it, they always seem to want to either strip out the context or or somehow manipulate the context to make it sound as though he's saying something else. I mean, almost, it almost, it, I, I know this is yeah. a little bit of a reductio ad absurdum on my part here, but almost it has been covered in the media as, you know, Pope hates, you know, dogs and cats. <laughs> Pope Filmed hates at 11. dogs and cats. No, I mean, it, wasn't there a thing a couple of years ago? I should have looked it up for you. But, you know, where he kind of, you know, speculated on the side of, you know, maybe our animals will be in heaven with us. And, you know, that similarly struck a nerve with the, you know, the the dogmatist was like, well, animals won't be in heaven. And, you know, couldn't believe it. You know, in other words, I mean, he's, he certainly has said things that would indicate, a, you know, a generous amount of love for animals in the past. Sure. So piecing these things together, I, you know, it certainly isn't a, I, I didn't read it as a, an anti, you know, anti dog and cat commentary. Um, however, I mean, I mean, it's fair to say. I mean, okay, so it's fair to say, like that. You know, there's ways you can take this thing out of context. And so, I mean, I don't know which, which, you know, which thing is more interesting that the 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 various parts of this this audience that he that he talked about, which are true and interesting, and in fact, the world needs to be encouraged to have children, um, in in all kinds of ways, and. Right. Um, he could have said more in a, in a sense, you know, in, what he said was mild in that respect. And, you know, he highlighted certain aspects of the culture's approach to having children, which I think when I read it again, like maybe like you, I went and read it in context. I thought, well, this is a quite a, quite a good statement. It's quite a strong statement. He talks about the, the risk of not having children, which is quite interesting. Right? Um, I don't know if I've seen it right. put that way. And he could have gone on. He could have, said other things um, even more strong in that respect. And so on that point, the points of substance about the, the true, um, it's a fertility crisis. Sometimes people call it this, but of course it's, it's a, it's a existential crisis, right? It's a, it's really related to a loss of the, a loss of the transcendent, a loss of a supernatural perspective that people have. And, and I was really glad to see the, the the Pope raising that question, you know, raising the question, why is it people don't seem to have the courage to have children? I think that's a great point. And it's kind of unfortunate that this little off-the-cuff thing about, you know, dogs and cats uh, <laughs> sort of like distract attention away. Um, but as you said, may, maybe this Pope more than others, um, maybe not this Pope more than others, this is our, our constant habit is to make a make um you know mountain out of a molehill and actually missed the more important point well i think so too and it, so let, it, let's let's talk about what it is that he actually said and i'll i'll go from the bbc yeah. 
Um, The BBC reported this. And and the BBC report says, today we see a form of selfishness. We see that some people do not want to have a child. Sometimes they have one and that's it, but they have dogs and cats that take the place of children. This may may make people laugh, but it is a reality. The practice Mm -hmm. is, quote, a denial of fatherhood and motherhood and diminishes us, takes away our humanity. Um, he was yeah. talking, he talked about demographic winter. Um, yeah, this is, and, and as the BBC points out, it's not the first time he's made, made this argument. Yeah. He made the same argument yeah. eight years ago. It was the first year of his right. papacy made the same yeah. argument. And this is, this is an argument that goes, uh, in Catholicism, uh, really before Catholicism. I mean, you can make the, you can, you can draw a line between what Pope Francis said here and what the old Testament has to say about Onan about selfishness yes. in, in, in denying, um, uh, in denying the Lord, um, your, your procreative abilities. Your, is that, yeah, that is a gift from, from God? That's right. That's right. It is a gift from God and it's not limited. I mean, so, so I want to mention a couple of things for your listeners. I mean, your, your, your quotes, I think are totally accurate. Um, but, but if you were to open the extended text of that general audience. Um, this was not the opening paragraph. The opening paragraph was a long reflection on the fatherhood of St. Joseph, which of course is adoptive and it's special. And so interestingly, in a certain sense, he, he, although a lot of his commentary was spun as sort of insensitive say to people who couldn't have children and that sort of thing, he actually had a pretty broad theme, which A, as you say, is completely consistent with the long tradition of the church and the, the Hebraic scriptures, right, that that God has some authority over, that he's put us on the earth <laughs> to shepherd um, creation. And of course, I want to, at some point before we finish, I want to say that, you know, taking care of animals is a positive duty for us, actually. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> we we right. should be doing that. But that, but absolutely, that there's no sense in which our shepherding of creation, our taking care of animals, which we ought to do, it's a duty for us. It doesn't crowd out <laughs> the duty to, to bring um, new life into the world. And if we cannot bring new life into the world, or even if we can, to be open to the adoptive role as well. So he certainly didn't mean to be insensitive to people who could not have children of their own or cannot have children of their own. I kind of want to make sure that I get that out because it's when, when I read the whole thing, I went, gosh, this is one of the strongest statements on the beauty and the value of adoption that I've seen in a long time. So I, I want to just sort of spread that out. It's not merely about the generative and procreative power that we 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 have a, a duty to respond to that, but also that we can participate in fatherhood and motherhood in these other ways, which which God imaged for us and Saint Joseph imaged for us. So I think it was really beautiful um, and really profound, actually. Indeed. But as you said, and, and, yeah, to- totally nothing you know, nothing that should shake the earth here. <laughs> yeah. Right. The he, and he actually talks about the fact that procreation isn't isn't enough, right? I mean, it's that's right. That's one right. Thing, it's, right. It's one thing to it's be not procreative. enough to make you a father. Yeah, exactly. That's you right. need to be a, a, right. a father and a mother in the mission sense, in the yes. in, in a sacramental sense, because that yes. is what we're called to do. And again, this is if if you if you and here is the frustrating part of this, of course, is that all the media outlets that are sort of parsing this out and they're getting quotes from from people saying how dare you know pope francis speak out against animals there i think it's the washington post actually had a quote from i, I won't say 
who it was because it's a uh-huh. it's a religious leader of a different a different you know ecclesial community sure. but who sure. pointed out that well he took the name of Pope Francis you know or he took the name of Francis which is you know the patron saint of no. animals and how dare he you know it's like I, no. I don't even know how to how to respond to this there's nothing in here that yeah, says I mean, don't have a pet right. yeah no that's exactly right there's nothing in there that says don't have and again I think um, we could we could all do a little Google searching and discover that he said okay, lots and lots of lovely yeah, lots and lots of lovely things about animals. I think it's not this is not a pontific in animals. I mean, listen, anybody that has been in the position, you know, I'm not a cleric, obviously, and I'm certainly I'm not a pope, but I have as a as a teacher and a professor professor, I've been in the position of having to provide a kind of exhortation to others to do better or to you know, bring their standards up, right? It's just like bread and butter for me, something I have to do frequently as a teacher. And everyone's, I mean, anyone in that role can recall the instance where you look around you and you go, okay, this is a heavy subject. I think I need to provide some levity, right? So I, when I read the whole thing, I thought to myself, this is a, this is a, a pope. I must say this is a guy, but you know, we should have more, more, more dignity to the office. This is a, this is a Holy Father who's raising a heavy subject. And he does, I think this is an element of his personality that he wants to connect with his audience. Sometimes that gets him into trouble, I think, but We've all been in that trouble. I've been in that trouble where you look around, you go, how can I, how can I lighten the tone? <laughs> so, you oh, know, yes. so he's talking about a serious thing and obligation. And then he kind of thinks, well, this would be kind of a funny thing to add in there. Like, what if, you know, you, know, you can't have a child, but you, you know, you just have like two and three and four animals and, you know, haha. And he says, and the way he says it, he, you know, you recognize people in front of him must have chuckled when he said that. And then he said, yes, it's funny. So it's, it was not an, you know, this was not an exhortation about, the, you know, the way in which, let's say, you know, the the care of animals or having nice pets is, is reducing our desire for children. I, I right. didn't read him as making that causal connection because that causal connection is something we don't really we don't really know to be true. I mean, it's, it, you no, know, I don't, no. I think it'd be very difficult for me as a social scientist looking at what I see in the fertility data to, to argue that, the, you know, <laughs> like people's interest in animals is somehow, you know, there might be all kinds of interesting ways where there's, you know, I don't know, like some sort of side effects of kind of certain cultural phenomena, but I didn't read the Pope as saying this was causal. And that's, no. I think, important to emphasize. Indeed. We're, we're yeah. talking with Dr. Catherine yeah. Pekalik about, about Pope Francis's perfectly benign observation that, yeah. that people should, should be open to procreation. Um, when yeah. we come back, we want to talk a little bit more about what he did have to say. Talk a little bit more about Pope Francis's pastoral approach to, mm. um, to, his, to his job, because I think uh, Dr. Pekalik makes a great point about this. Uh, you know, Pope Francis is known more as uh, emphasizing the pastoral over, the, over being a theologian. He's certainly capable yeah. of being both. Um, yeah. And so when we come back from break, I think Dr. Pekalik will talk a little bit more about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about what he's actually warning about, which is this demographic winter that mm. we're facing in Europe, we're facing in the United States. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that and more. I'm Ed Morrissey filling in for Drew Mariani. We'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. 
For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. The truth. Thanks, Drew. Always a quest for the truth. Now. And it just reinforced why I love Relevant Radio because you guys got the truth. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's 48 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com filling in for Drew today. And we are in the middle of a great conversation with Dr. Catherine Pakalik regarding Pope Francis's exhortation to embrace our procreation, our procreative abilities, uh, to not necessarily sublimate that and other things of the world. Doesn't mean that he hates dogs and cats, <laughs> Dr. Pakalik. <laughs> uh, I, I think we, I think I've kind of, I think I've kind of beat that point to death already. I, I will point yeah. out though that when, one of the things, if we're going to talk a little bit about um, media manipulation, uh, yeah. if you really wonder what Pope Francis actually said, go to www.vatican.va, <laughs> go for the English right. translation, look yes. for the transcripts because they post the transcripts. Usually, it's pretty quickly in English and lots yes. of other languages. And, and, and just read it for yourself and read it in full context. And you realize there's nothing new here, but when you're reading this, and it's a really actually is a beautiful address. When you're reading this, you're hearing the voice of a pastor. You're not hearing somebody who is, um, who is creating some sort of theological treatise that, that scholars will ponder over for the next, uh, you know, two decades. He's talking to people as their pastor and, yeah. and responding to them, as you pointed out. And, and I think that that's, maybe it's just so unusual uh, for yeah. a pope. We don't really, we haven't had that experience in the, in the media, the modern media era of popes, right? Because we, we've had yes. theological giants in these positions. You know, you've had yes. John Paul II, you've had... Mm. Um, You've had, you know, Benedict the Sixteenth. John Paul the First might have been that if he had managed yeah. to, you know, live long enough. He was. He's kind of cut out of the same cloth as as Pope Francis is in that regard. Yeah. But prior to that, yeah. Paul the Sixth, who was a theological giant. I mean, we just haven't had that experience. And I think that there people just still haven't caught up to yes. Pope Francis as a pastor. Yes, I think that's right, and it's also fair to say that. Um, um, maybe the, the papacy hasn't caught up, but I'll, I'm going to use, you know, kind of, I'm going to use the scare quotes there. I mean, it's a tremendous burden. I mean, anybody that has been yeah. a, a visible public figure these days understands that what the burden of being, you know, a president or a prime minister or even just a, a movie actor that's popular kind of understands that the the world of the new media is a, is a tremendous and different kind of animal and it's a tremendous burden right i mean the idea that anytime you speak in public if it's not perfect it's going to be ruined um and then even if it is perfect you know some interest group may have some bone to pick with you right um it's like nobody nobody could hit that standard right nobody can hit that mark and so when i say the papacy hasn't caught up i mean um as you say the world hasn't caught up um to a pastoral pope in the one on the one hand and on the other hand you know i don't know if the chair of peter is meant to have to respond to that kind of media media yeah. situation and probably one of the jobs that i mean that obviously i mean relevant radio in all kinds of different ways and one of the jobs of kind of the the education and the cultivation of the lay um the lay vocation is is actually to spread that kind of rational 
calmness and coolness. Like we're not called to get caught up in, you know, what is it Pope Francis had for breakfast today? (laughs) What is, what, I mean, and, and really that's true of our pontiff, but it's also true of all of our bishops and, and, you know, even our parish priests that there's too much, you know, intrigue, there's too much personal detail, there's too much, and when you think about what it would have been like to live, you know, in some past times when obviously the church prevailed then as she does now, and ordinary Catholics all over the world wouldn't have known what the Pope said yesterday or what the Pope had for breakfast or what the Pope, you know, thinks on the airplane. And we need to kind of calm down in that respect and understand that that isn't the institution of the church. Um, and of yeah, course, she can survive this. Right? I mean, like obviously, we're gonna the church will prevail. Um, but but this is a great a great. It's a way we can witness to the sort of a permanent realities is to try to you know exercise calmness. In right. I think that's right. I mean, I think we're called <laughs> yeah. to exercise grace and exercise calmness. And, yeah. And, yeah. And I think part of part of maybe and this is maybe a, a one of the great practical lessons of. Pope Francis's time as pontiff is is that is that call to grace rather than jumping down you know rather than going off yeah. half cocked and and jumping all yeah. over you know yeah. thinly sliced portions of something that somebody <laughs> said and it's not just Pope Francis you know those right. of us in the political realm it's a lesson to learn there too and I, I certainly yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna exempt myself mm-hmm. from from, right. from from needing that lesson and so that might be one of the gifts that um, Pope Francis gives us let's talk a little bit yeah. though about about sure. what his point is here um, I, we got a few yeah. minutes left uh, sure. you've actually yeah. been caught up in this you, three or four years yeah. ago you, you mixed it up with uh, uh, French president Emmanuel <laughs> Macron <laughs> over over um, over demographic winter and this sort of sneering yeah. attitude that only yeah. people who are uneducated have, you know, have children. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's amazing that, that, that a leader in yeah. Europe at this particular point in time would have that attitude. That's right. No, for sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of pieces of this. I mean, I, I really want to give the Pope credit for raising the, the point about demographic winter. You know, by and large, I would probably, you know, I would put the president of France into the same category. But by and large, our leaders and our cultural elites, will say, are not aware that we are not still living in a world of, you know, you know, third world. I'll say that again in, in scare quotes. It's the word everyone uses. We, we like to say today the developing world, that the developing world is not overwhelmed with kind of crushing population growth that it, it used to exhibit. But that, uh, you know, it's kind of two salient points. So, you know, first is that the um, the trend towards drastically low lower birth rates has been exhibited everywhere. It's not a, a unique feature of the West or of Japan anymore that it's been exhibited everywhere. Um, and then the second is is that the uh, we'll say the developing countries, the countries that are catching up to the um, economic elite, we'll say, have exhibited dramatic convergence of their birth rates. So, what it took the United States, for instance, two hundred years uh, to to go from about an eight child per woman sort of norm to, to two. It took the United States 200 years to do that. It took Mexico more like 30 years, right? It's a tremendous shift. And this convergence is incredibly rapid. You cannot really find even very many places in, in Africa, any countries in Africa with, you know, exploding birth rates. That's a thing of the past. And it was not, it didn't, it didn't 
last very long. So the salient point about the global population is really we are very much on the brink in, around the world of contraction of population. So I give the Pope credit for bringing up something that is still not largely part of the consciousness of people. You still hear people right. talk about overpopulation, um, which is not <laughs> so we're not in that world. We never really were, but of course there were scaremongers and fearmongers and um, as there always are. So, well, so yeah, he's yeah, completely I mean, right about this. Yeah. Well, he's completely right about this, and this is, I mean, this, this, the, 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 excuse me, the declining birth rates. Try to spit that one. Yeah. Out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It really speaks to a transition here from the appreciation of life as sacramental to a completely utilitarian view of life, which is, yeah. uh, you don't, we really don't need a birth rate that's, you know, above two. You know, we just all we need is a replacement birth rate. As if yeah. we're widgets in a you know in a factory, um, yes. and and that is expressing itself in many different ways. Not just in Europe, although you know we like to pick That's on right. Europe about euthanasia, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but it's happening yeah. here in the United States. It's happening in in really in the West, and it really it, it is this sort of disconnect from the Christian underpinnings of 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 Western culture, which is yeah. the idea that life is somehow just a just a, a a good or a trade that has no intrinsic value other than what it can provide us. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. I mean, I, I there are lots and lots of things that are out there that we we can identify as related to this declining birth rates, and some of them are really outside of the control of individual families and couples. And we should say that. I mean, there's certainly evidence of, of declining course, of biological fertility and so on. But if you wanted to pick out one thing that really just shows up everywhere, it's secularization, which is a decrease in the in the in the habit of viewing the world with a supernatural lens, right? And when you have a supernatural lens, the 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 burdens and the benefits become um, become understood in light of eternity, right? And so the burdens, of course, become very small, or smaller. We understand them as being smaller, and the benefits are eternal. And that thing pops up everywhere. So you see that people of faith, of, of many different persuasions, of many different creeds, share that view. People of deep faith share that view, that a supernatural perspective on human life leads them to gladly, willingly make lots of sacrifices to bring children into the world. Um, and it's a beautiful way of life, and some people still do it. <laughs> Obviously, it's something that the church recommends to people. Um, and that is, um, that is what you just described is what's missing increasingly in our secularized world. Yeah. It really is. Dr. Catherine Bacolic, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, be sure to go to the Vatican.va, <clears throat> excuse me, to read what Pope Francis actually said, because it's beautiful. <laughs> Coming up next, we'll be talking about January 6th, the anniversary of the riot with Andy McCarthy. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew. We'll be right back.